Welcome to Ghostwatch 2017. Uh, my name is Coriander Dickinson. I'm just gonna do that again. Welcome to Ghostwatch 2017. My name is Coriander Dickinson, and this is a podcast about Ghostwatch 2016, a podcast about Common Rider Ghost. I've asked Adam Wasserman. Hello. And Alexi Peppers. Hi. To give me feedback on my other podcast. All right. Three, two, one. Bonus episode. Bonus episode. Pacific, Pacific Rim, Rim, Rim Uprising. Uprising. <laughs> Hold on. We were watching a show made of rejects. <laughs> oh, this is even more inaccurate R&D. than usual. Special effects spreading across half a century. Magic ghost shirts, pokeballs, and fanny packs. And despite never leaving, Coriander is back. The bestest host that watched Common Rider Ghost has more to say with this replay. Join Adam and Alexi in this meta fun, rehashing a show that still isn't done. Enjoy the unseen with Ghost Watch 2017. I only have one thing to say about this movie, and that is that I was not expecting a CG insertion of Gundam Unicorn in front of an Anaheim Electronics building. So that's weird. What? Okay, well, I did not pick up on that. Yeah. So what that's is... a good thing you brought me, the expert. <laughs> on, on to... Are you the expert today? Oh, like the statue of a, of a Gundam? Yeah, it's a specific Gundam statue. Okay. I, I did notice that and figured it was a Gundam, but I don't know anything about Gundam. They have a real life-size statue of that Gundam, I guess, to scale in Odaiba. They replaced the old Gundam with this new Gundam unicorn. Oh. Lights up, but this was not that statue. This was like a CG concrete thing. Yeah, it looked like it was stone. I thought it was just the real one, because I knew that there was a Gundam statue, because Guillermo del Toro visited that um, shortly before or during the press circuit for Pacific Rim. Um, so I've seen pictures of him at the Gundam place in Japan, but I don't know much of anything about Gundam, so. Well, it's in the area that they do a lot of Sentai filming in. I noticed this time a part where there's like a holographic penguin while they're fighting through Tokyo, and I'm, I've made a note to myself to try and figure out who that penguin is, if it's anything. It seemed like they put a lot of effort into making the holographic penguin. I didn't see a branded penguin. I'm gonna I'm going to look that up. It took me, this is my fourth viewing of Uprising. Maybe fifth. I don't know. I feel like, so there's a place to start. If you listen to Ghostwatch 2017, or follow me on Twitter, or have talked to me for mm, 10 minutes, you probably know. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Pacific Rim. It's my favorite film. And I don't say that in like a wishy-washy way. Empire Strikes Back was my favorite film from childhood until the day Pacific Rim came out. And so I've seen that one like 30 times to me, it's not just also like a popcorn fun movie. I legitimately think that the characters are very interesting and that it has a lot to say about different types of love and, and ways of respecting people and like humanity as a whole. So it's a very important movie to me. And specifically, my favorite character is Newton Geisler, who I cosplay as and stuff, which is relevant when talking about Pacific Rim Uprising. So that's like where I'm coming from. I feel like a good opening in terms of talking about Uprising is how everyone felt about the first film. I didn't like it. Yeah. As as I have gone on record with, I actually did a podcast about Pacific Rim that never got released after I saw it in theater. Hmm. I, I liked it more this time when I rewatched it for this podcast, possibly because by comparison to Uprising, it is definitely much better. Yeah. But... I mean, I th- I think it's fine. Like, I don't, I don't exactly hate it, but I have a lot of problems with it. Um, a lot of which stems from, I th- I think the second time watching it the second time, the tonal shifts. Now that I knew to expect them, like the shifts between the like gritty, we're gonna murder kaiju and the wacky, we're weird scientists and also Ron Perlman stuff. Knowing that was coming, it was a lot easier to take. But the thing that I don't still don't like about it is Mako Mori is my favorite character and mm. she gets fucking shafted in this movie after about the first half hour. Yeah, it's a criminal crime yes. that they did. 
They should go to film jail. They just straight up fridged the best character. I'm not even talking about her getting fridged, which sucked, but I almost didn't care because she was unrecognizable as being the same character in mm-hmm. Uprising. Like she had none of the none of the Makomoriness, but I'm talking about in the first one, like after she uh she and um what's his face Raleigh actually start piloting the Jaeger they she's all like she's she's still present but she never has any she doesn't get any agency Raleigh's just shouting her name a lot she gets to kill something with a sword but mostly it's just men telling her whether she can do stuff or not and just really is maddening to me even when uh in in the scene where she and Raleigh have like their test fight to see if they're they're compatible she only gets to because men tell her she's allowed to and it's just like i just feel like she doesn't have any agency and she's the best character in it i i want her to be the main character and everybody else to like have to do what she says Wait, like i find that really interesting <laughs> this is just gonna be a pacific room one podcast isn't it uh-huh. but i just i find that so interesting because um i i can look at it and and see what you mean like i can see why like like it's totally a, a read of things that i can see it's also not at all how I feel about it. Like, I feel like she mm-hmm. is the main character and that she does have agency. Like, even when she's doing what, you know, Stacker tells her to do, like, the movie directly addresses that. Like, she has the line where Raleigh tells her, you don't have to do what he says. And she says it's not about obedience, it's respect. Like, to me, she's a really interesting character who does have agency, but is also very driven by kind of respectfulness in these relationships that she has and does kind of forge her own path where she doesn't have to be rebellious. Uh, and, and I don't even feel like she doesn't act like she has something to prove. She just kind of is competent. And I can even see like, cause they ended the film where in the end she's evacuated out by mm-hmm. Raleigh. Uh, like I can see that being read as her not getting to finish it. But then to me, like Raleigh says to her that all that's left to do is fall and anyone can fall. So to me, it, it was saying that like the hard part has been done and, and now is just kind of the end of it that he can do because anyone could do it. It's an interesting thing in that like I think that your read of it, I can totally see why. But also it's not at all what I get out of it. So mm-hmm. I just think that's cool. Hmm. The other thing is, so at the end of the movie, like they make the, the, the big deal about how they, they can only go through the portal if they have like a kaiju, like to get them through. Right. And that's how the portal yeah. works. So how did they get, how did they get back out Yeah, into escape pods that did, were not surrounded by kaiju? No, it, it, it is fair. It, I guess it's a one way. <laughs> that just bothered it, me. It's, it's a barcode only at one end <laughs> and the other end is just open. Uh-huh. I, I've had I'm that sorry. thought too, where I was like, I tried to visualize because you see them going through uh, the throat is what it's called. Yeah. And I was like visualizing, yeah, the escape pod like floating up through it. And I was like, well, okay. And it's because I don't like, I mean, I, 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 I like it more now, but because I don't like it that much, it's easier for me to nitpick it. And I th- think part of it is that I was really, really excited to go see it. Like I saw it on opening day. I was really psyched. And after like the opening section where they're explaining what was going on which was cool and then it goes into the two brothers and it just sort of felt like all of a sudden it was from like not the movie i was hoping it was going to be but like more like a b-movie robot jocks kind of thing and i just i sort of expected more from from del toro based on his other stuff like that just i don't know i think i don't think i got what i wanted from the movie and i think that's a lot of why i i don't like it that much right which is interesting because it took me by surprise. I didn't even know it was like a thing. I saw like mm. a trailer right before it came out and I was like, oh, Guillermo del Toro. Like I'm a pretty big fan of him as a director and I like, you know, Kaiju. So I guess I'll go see this. But I had like zero expectations and then I was just shocked by how I felt about it and like went back and saw it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I think fundamentally, like I can accept it as like a sort of a decent high budget b-movie type thing but i can't take it any more seriously than that and i don't mean to take away from your feelings about it because i know you care about it a lot right and i'm not saying i don't want i do not want to give the impression that i'm saying you're wrong i just don't react to it the same way I, and i don't want to say that about you either because it is i it, it's interesting so I, I i wear my pacific rim heart on my sleeve and talk about it a lot and i've gotten very 
accustomed to the fact, and I find it very interesting that it's a kind of divisive movie in this way, that a lot of people really don't like it. Uh, and even people who like it, a lot of people I talk to just day to day like it because they're like, oh yeah, it was that dumb kind of movie that was just about punching, you know, robots and, and, and monsters. And I'm like, well, that's not even, I don't agree with you there, even if you do like it. Um, so it, it does seem like it spoke really strongly to some people because I do, I my first and only really big fandom feeling of being part of a fan group has been with Pacific Rim because there's a lot of other people who feel extremely strongly about it. And hmm. so there's like a group of people who love it incredibly intensely and have continued to do so for like the five years since Pacific Rim came out a and agree. Like we, we talk about it with each other and, and we get the same feelings from it. It's not like everyone got their own thing out of it. There's like a, a cohesive feeling, but it seems like a really, a lot of people don't get that out of it, which to me is kind of fascinating as a phenomena that uh, a lot of people like watch the same film and see something very different. And if anything, it seems like a minority is the group of people who uh, are like me and, and feel really strongly about it in a positive way. Hmm. But Corey, what do you feel about it? Uh, I saw Pacific Rim in theaters and I have not seen it since. I went in assuming that it was going to be some schlocky North American recreation of the giant fighting robots genre. And kind of got that, but also got uh, like a nice little touch about like human beings connecting with each other, right? Yeah. And in the second movie, they de-emphasized that so much. Oh, man. Yes. You wouldn't even know drift compatibility was a thing in the second movie. No, they just give it up. It's just like, whoever can get in there, it's fine. Exactly. You can just play with anyone. Like, they have one throwaway line about how oh when you're younger you can drift more easily but even that then like jake drifts with amara no problem like it they just throw out the central conceit mm -hmm. i i feel like if i could sum up in one sentence my feelings about pacific rim uprising it's that it's a pacific rim film made by people who had no understanding of what made the first pacific rim good <laughs> yeah i i would agree like i the way i was looking i looked at it i'm like I have trouble believing that like five years later, people would make a Pacific Rim movie ostensibly because there's like fans of the Pacific Rim who want another movie and would so completely ignore or miscalculate what the fan base actually liked about the first one and would want to see in the second one. Like, I can't believe the fan base would want to see Makamori get fridged in the first half hour after acting nothing like herself. I don't think no. they would want to see uh, Newton Geisler as the insane villain mm -hmm. for no apparent reason. Yeah. Like, there's just, like, none of the heart of the first movie. There's just ugh, so much stupid. The, the PPDC becomes some kind of police force that recruits, like, child soldiers, I guess. Yep. I guess. Uh, we don't get any kind of actually interesting world building of what happened in no. the intervening 10 years and a lot of stuff just doesn't make sense one thing about it so i i feel like so i'm i'm pretty negative about uprising and i'm going to continue to be so the mm -hmm. one thing because i don't want to sell it like completely short i feel like it's the opposite of pacific rim in that like if all you wanted was just kind of like a fun actiony movie where there were some monsters and there were some robots and they fight each other then you know uprising the jaeger fights look pretty good it's like a Saturday morning cartoon version of Pacific Rim that like is kind of a fun time. Like I don't feel like it gets everything wrong as a movie, but as a Pacific Rim sequel, it's hard to forgive it. Overall, I, I felt positively towards the movie. I, I hmm. generally liked it. And some of the fight choreography was pretty engaging. Especially, I, to me, the fights between Obsidian Fury and uh, Gypsy Avenger are really cool. I feel like, because I know something that um, some people missed in the first Pacific Rim was the chance to see Jaegers fight each other. Yes. Uh, people thought that it would be fun to mm. see, you know, robots fight another robots, not just robots versus kaiju. And so I feel like that is something that Uprising then came up with several different scenarios, because you see, you know, Obsidian Fury as a rogue Jaeger, they're able to have fights that way. And then the Kaiju drone Jaegers aren't around for very long. But when they are, I think those fight scenes are really cool. Right. It does something that, that always kind of annoys me 
in in sequels where they're like oh we figured out this thing that they didn't figure out in the first movie and i'm like i am sure that somebody plotted the trajectory of the of the the kaiju in the first movie and would have figured out that they were headed for the same place i'm sure somebody did that they won that is the most baffling bullshit in all of (laughs) uprising because even like you you don't have to have paid a lot of attention to the first pacific rim there are some things where i'm like oh uh kaiju blue was actually stated to be extremely toxic in the uh overlay in the beginning film like i know that that's being nitpicky i'm like okay i know that that's my thing because i'm a big nerd about this but if you just watched the first pacific rim and didn't pay a lot of attention you know that all the kaiju came out of the breach, which is like in the Pacific Ocean, and they went to Anchorage, and they went to like, oh, yeah. oh, it's so explicitly, clearly untrue that they were heading for Mount Fuji, that I don't know why they said it. Like they didn't. Uh. They wanted an excuse to have like to have it be be in Japan because that's where kaiju come from. Or I guess Titans. Oh yeah, <laughs> Godzilla, King, King of, of monsters. monsters. Yeah, the only bad thing. I'm already mad. I'm already mad about it, and it's not. But out it's yet. just like they, <laughs> they could have just said like, "Oh, we plotted the trajectory of these kaiju, and they're all heading to Mount Fuji." Or like they could have come up with some other way. Yeah. Like, why have an explanation that is blatantly not, like. Uh, uh, true based on on the first film like why specifically say oh this is what was happening in the first one when it clearly wasn't and so there's an interesting thing uh so Stephen DeKnight was the director of Pacific Rim Uprising and he's been really active on Twitter uh talking about the film and like talking with fans and it's been really strange I don't know how to feel about it because it's this curious creative question of after you've made a piece of media how much do you as a creator go and, and like back talk yeah. about it on Twitter? So he's talked a lot about studio interference. Like he has often said that there are things he wanted to do differently or were different in the original script, but changed a lot of it because uh, Uprising was very specifically marketed towards a Chinese audience. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. And apparently that meant that stuff like having a more explicit romantic relationship between Newton Geisler and Herman Gottlieb was off the table. And it's just, it's been weird though, because he says this now on Twitter and that he still, not all of his explanations make sense. Like people have tried asking him a lot about the Mount Fuji thing. And he's always answered it in this weird sideways fashion. Like he doesn't understand the original problem. So it's just been a curious Mm situation where he's been kind of giving these alternate explanations on Twitter. Like when it comes to Mako and Raleigh, who doesn't even appear in the film, he said, oh, there's a radiation inside where the precursors are. And they were both so irradiated that like they were dying anyway. And that was the original script. And it's like, well, that's not any say better. that now. <laughs> that's, that's, not yeah, that's not much better. Because Mako, so that was it was a criminal crime in that they fridged her. Mm-hmm. And also... This is one of these crime cases where the first Pacific Rim specifically has the section where Stacker talks to Raleigh and has a whole speech about would you rather die here or in a Jaeger? Because it's important that like as rangers, they need to, you know, a Jaeger is where they belong and they need to die fighting if they're going to die at all. Like you can't kind of. It's where they're useful. It's their purpose, right? Yeah. And like Raleigh was being useful of a sort as a, worker on the wall they're not really because the wall was bullshit uh but it was kind of this passive role where he was going to kind of let things happen and if he eventually died he was going to die there not fighting the best he could and so it was important that they die fighting in a jaeger and then they killed mako and didn't let her be in a jaeger and that's just awful being a passenger in a helicopter is is effectively (laughs) the same thing yeah same thing my cynical take on the first movie is that she's basically a passenger in her Jaeger anyway, but (laughs) it's not, not to harp on it, but like, seriously, if you watch how like those, those scenes are shot, like they mostly focus on Raleigh. Like you almost never see like Mako. It's very annoying. She is a secondary character in the first movie. Ugh, bothers me because I like her so much. I do. There, there are scenes that annoy even me. 
When I say like, I mean love. I mean, I'm literally in love with Mako Mori. Yeah, I'm literally in love with Newton Geisler, but also kind of like want to be Newton Geisler, so that's complicated. <laughs> Could I have a sexy date night with a tentacle thing? I oh, also can't okay. cosplay as Mako Mori because that would be really bad on. I don't. I don't think levels. it would. I don't think it would translate. I don't think people would pick up that what you were laying you, down. I think, think the beard would throw people off well listen no one has ever recognized me as newt and i've done it like Aww. six times that's so. because there are very few fans of the franchise <laughs> <laughs> yes well enough to make it right. make a terrible sequel oh yeah i guess so a quick quick story that i think is funny about uprising in particular and the newt and the kaiju brain thing so i saw uprising came out during gdc the game developers conference right. which is like the biggest industry event for game developers and i was there uh and it was like a big pacific room pilgrimage for me because i also went to uh escape room theme for uprising and san francisco is where the first uh kaiju trespasser made land so it was like a whole thing and i brought my cosplay because the plan was i'm gonna go see uprising and i'm gonna cosplay because man i've been waiting five years for a sequel i'm gonna enjoy it mm -hmm. even though i'm kind of at a work thing uh, but I didn't want to see it alone, and I thought it would be fun. So as I met people at GDC that week, whenever I made a new kind of friend or acquaintance, I invited them to come to Uprising. And eventually I did actually get a group of like indie developers and other game developers to come with me, which was fun. So here we are in the theater before the film. I'm dressed as Newton Geisler, which is kind of weird. And I'm with a group of my peers explaining to them who Newton Geisler is and why I like the film so much. And I think, you know, it comes across as a bit weird, but they're like, all right. And we watched the movie and I'm sitting right behind them all. And it gets to the scene where Newt goes home to Alice and I have a bad feeling about it. And I start thinking to myself, I'm like, Newt, don't do this. I'm here with like new friends in a professional context. You have to represent us well. Because I have to go out after this and look those people in the eye dressed as you. <laughs> and then it, there's that scene where they play I want to know what love is. <laughs> as he says he wants to have fun in the bedroom and then drifts with the kaiju and makes a... Uh, it's definitely it's definitely for porn. That kaiju brain it's is for porn. porn. It's a porn face he makes and mm. the noises. And I kind of just blacked out, to be honest. <laughs> Good thing you saw the movie three more times after that. Yeah, that was the only time, though, I was dressed as Newton Geisler at a professional event. Have you dressed as Newton Geisler since? Uh, well, I guess I did actually do it the next day to go to do the escape room. And I would still keep dressing as Newt, but now it's like, it is weird. Mm. And... Mm. My, my problem with all of that is that in terms of making him the villain, so this is actually, Guillermo del Toro had thought about this. This is one of the things they salvaged from his script. But I think that they bungled it because like, I'm willing to accept, as painful as it is, a, a version of things where Newt is influenced by the precursors and that lets them, you know, enact their evil plans. But they then in the movie show him no sympathy like it's not treated as a tragedy which is what it is he's not a victim in the movie no yeah even though he totally is and it's funny too because so the scene where uh herman finds out what's going on and they have kind of a confrontation is my favorite scene in the film and i think is actually really well done charlie day is surprisingly like unsettling as a as a villain and Oh, this makes me so mad. In the scene where like, where he actually starts choking Herman, Charlie Day, when they filmed that scene, was crying. Like there were tears running down his face. They were acting it out uh, so emotionally. And they CGI'd the tears out. What? And I hate uh... them. <laughs> I detest them. I mean, also, why? Like, Herman drifted with Kaiju Brain, too. Why is he fine? I know. It, none of this makes a damn Newt bit of sense. Newt did do it twice, and Newt did do it once without a drift partner. Well, they, so they, code, they code Gottlieb in the movie as, like, asexual, for the most part. Yeah. He's, he's too sciencey. Science does that to people, you know? Yeah, it is weird that they... they <laughs> it, it makes me also very uncomfortable how they, they code the kaiju brain and the drifting as a sex thing and also, like, an addiction, like a drug thing. Yep. Yeah. 
and then and then don't treat him like a victim in any way it, it sucks and also what sucks to me is that at this point and maybe i just am too pulled into it but if like guillermo came back and they did a third one i still feel like they could end his arc and his arc with herman in a satisfying way like i think at this point it's like it's a tragic romance that's in act two <laughs> and i think that it could be resolved but it sucks because uprising was so bad and i don't think it did particularly well and i doubt it will get a third one so instead what happened is just that they made a not very good movie that like not only put this character and the setting into a bad state but also by jumping forward 10 years and what they established with Newt is that like right after the events of Pacific Rim, instead of being celebrated as a hero, which by all rights he should have been since he was one of two people who figured out how to save the world. Yeah. Uh, instead, apparently he just got, whether immediately or slowly, taken over by the precursors and just like left. And the other fun side thing is that at the time that Uprising was coming out on the press circuit, Charlie Day straight up just said in an interview that to his reading uh like his character newt is in love with herman and burn gorman agreed and they said that that's how they act the scenes mm. and they started just saying like right up charlie was like yeah newt misses the man he's in love with and it's like on the one hand this is great and and cool because i i ship it on the other hand it's just it makes the world that they set up so tragic because it sets up that the last 10 years were just like horrible for these characters so i just i get very mad that not only is the film disappointing for me but it also made the canon super disappointing yeah mm -hmm. well and it's also like a little bit of like one of those dumbledore's gay type things where it's like it's all well and good to say it but it's not really on screen yes for the most part yeah, definitely it, it does not count yet like it's not real representation yeah which is one of these weird things where then enough people I guess we're pestering Stephen tonight about it that he pretty much straight up said that he wanted to do it and it, wow. he would have done it if it wasn't for studio interference. But again, like he says that it doesn't yeah. mean shit. <laughs> I, I suddenly realized while we were talking that I have an equivalent for this because I really, really liked men in black, like the oh. first one. Oh. And I watched it like, so many times I used to work at a video store and I would put it on all the time to the point where I was not allowed to put it on anymore. Like the other, <laughs> the other staff yeah. wouldn't let me, but when I worked by myself, I would put that on. I watched that and the TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Like one time somebody walked in, saw that it was playing and looked over and was like, I thought you were here. <laughs> and then men in black two came out and it was hot garbage and fucked up. Like, all the character relationships and everything and yeah kind of like this so i i feel for you not that i didn't yeah. already. looking forward to the next one though well men in black 3 was actually okay it it kind of redeemed it but the next one's got like tessa thompson in it and i'm there she's wearing a suit i'm in oh yep. right yeah i think i think yeah. one of the cunninghams is in there or whatever their names are all right I actually realized I, I, I had uh, Men in Black Hemsworth. on Hemsworth, that's it. One I of the Hemsworths yeah. is there. Okay, yeah, Chris Hemsworth. It is Chris, Yeah, I think. I can't remember but, the names. Uh, I, I had Men in Black as a VHS, and I'd kind of forgotten about how much I watched that film, because it was when I was pretty young. Mm. But I didn't have a lot of VHSs, so it was just kind of like Twister, Jurassic Park, Men in Black, just kind of repeat. And I'd forgotten, but uh, I realized it's why I'm obsessed with egg chairs. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, I, yes. <laughs> I've always wanted egg chairs in like my house and stuff. And then when I was at CERN, they have these egg chairs in one of the museum -y places where each one is uh, got speakers inside that will talk about a different aspect of like the work they're doing at CERN. Mm. And so you just get to like lounge in this like weirdly lit room inside an egg chair and listen to narration about physics. And it was just like my ideal universe, but I didn't, remember why i was obsessed with egg chairs until someone linked me a picture of men in black in response and i it all mm. came flooding back to me yeah like if i see an egg chair i know i have to shoot the girl with the physics textbook because that's above her level <laughs> yeah the other thing about men in black uh, that i realized like long after i'd like been watching it but uh linda fiorentino's character actually has like a good strong arc and she actually saves herself and saves the guys at the end and she's actually a good example of a strong female character Although she is a side character. Yes. But like, and I was thinking, because 
when when Pacific Rim came out and everybody's like, oh, Makomura is such a strong female character. And obviously I have issues with that. She she has martial proficiency. She does. And she has she has an inner strength to make it through the day. Yeah. But that's about it. She doesn't really express things. And and I thought of Linda Fiorentino and Men in Black, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Like she's she's competent. She's arguably more competent than the men in the film. She never actually gets rescued by anybody. She rescues herself because every attempt to rescue her is uh, poorly executed. Uh, and then she basically saves them at the end of the movie. And I'm like, huh. And then she and she gets agency and she gets to join and she's being treated like an equal. I'm like, ah, that's pretty good. Except that mm-hmm. she's not a main character in the film. She's a side character. So it's not the best example, but it's still not bad. But this one started with some run the jewels. So that's nice. How come Pacific Rim with its relatively small fan base can merit a sequel, but we don't get a Speed Racer sequel, huh? I know. I they keep what I want saying it, and it doesn't mean anything if they just keep saying. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Sensei has to end, so. How long has that been? <sighs> Speed Racer's been, is like, it's its 10-year anniversary this year, if I recall. Yeah. Correctly. I don't think it's it happening. Interesting. There was a lot of rumors up and down, like, you know, for people monitoring closely the, the Pacific Rim uprising, there were rumors back and forth. And then, God, when, when Guillermo left, that really was worrying. And then the fears were justified. Yeah. It, it is like, because can you imagine if they made a Speed Racer sequel and it was just like some random director? Oh, God, no. Yeah. I, I did think, because I was enjoying the fight scenes in Uprising, watching it again. But the... Like Guillermo del Toro is so good with visuals and there's like this neon, like people do um, those kind of color palette pictures from Pacific Rim and it's mm. just like, they're so vibrant and there's so many different colors and it's just like a visual spectacular. Like Guillermo del Toro talks about it being eye protein, not just eye candy. <laughs> and, uh, and Uprising has just like none of that. Well, cause Uprising's all set during the day. Yes. Which normally I don't mind because it kind of, I always feel like when when a big budget movie has like most of their CGI stuff set at night, it's to save money. Because I, I assume it's easier right. to CGI stuff that's in the dark rather than in the in the bright sunlight. Maybe. Although I don't know if that's actually true. That's what bothers me about Spider-Man movies when they have a lot of scenes at night. And I'm like, no, Spider-Man's a daytime hero. Yes. God damn it. That is true. You have to emphasize that constantly. But I was thinking about Shape of Water and the color mm. palette control that is in that movie. Yeah. And just yeah. like this one, Pacific Rim Uprising was kind of a lot of browns and greens. It's yeah. Kind of boring. No, I think Guillermo is really good at that. In anything, like it, it's a it's a good example of the difference that like, you know, a director can make in the the like what makes Guillermo's film special? That said, you know, any movie is made with a big team of people and, and nothing is just like one person. But I feel like you can compare the two and you can see a lot of the touches. But and, and there's just so much stuff they miss, like, because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this film and talking to other fans about it and working out, like, why I feel the way I do about things. And one good example is the Jaegers, because in the first Pacific Rim, each Jaeger, even though a lot of them don't have a ton of screen time, they are very distinct. They have an identity in the pilots, but also a national identity. So they each have uh, their own little theme song. Some of it only plays very shortly but they have their own song uh the con pods the inside of the jaeger is all different they all have different um uniforms like the the tech is is different for each one of them they're distinct they resemble something about the country they came from they're all really fascinating even if they're not in the film for long which is why i can be like yeah cherno alpha is my favorite jaeger even though it's not like he gets to do a lot and in this one they have more jaegers with more screen time but they all have the same uh, tech inside they don't have unique theme songs they don't have any kind of national identities the drift compatibility is all over the place and like they just they feel like five different toys that are just kind of recolors of each other they don't feel interesting or distinct like you can't just slap some names and give one girl hips and one <laughs> like a wrecking ball and be like yeah which one of these do you love it's like no you don't understand what made it good this is how I feel about the the Michael Bay Transformers movies because all the Transformers when they're in robot mode just look like a bunch of shards of metal glued together and I cannot tell them apart to save yep. my life. 
it's like Michael Bay was like, oh no, they have to look cool. They're not going to look cool if they have like, if they look sort of like silly, like they've got like car parts all over them. And I'm like, no, that's literally what I liked about them is that it looked like they were a car and now they're a robot. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's like kind of the point that they look a little derpy, but they're cool because of that. Like you can see that they were something yeah. else, not just like generic. Oh. Bumblebee, stop lubricating oh, the man. The troll alone oh, song. God. Why? Oh, no. Okay, I saw that on Twitter as like a movie clip, and I was like, this is probably fake. <laughs> and it was I wish real. It was. Uh, Apparently, I don't remember all these when things. When they're blasting off again, uh, <laughs> one of the. Russians, I guess, is like Russian guy. His name's one Ilya. Of, yeah, one of the one of the baby children is like, oh, my grandparents used to play this song to calm me down. Yeah, yeah, and, it's, and it's they like playing the video on blast. Oh. They do. They have a holographic version of the troll little guy, and they sing the troll little song as they blast off, and then they like transition it into the normal soundtrack, and it's just hell. And I again, I basically was just blacking out. I guess if it was a Numa Numa reference, I would have got it. <laughs> Get with the times, Adam. No. <laughs> Gosh. I refuse. Onibaba got to show up again, though. If I got Onibaba's one of my favorite kaiju, so that was cool. The new kaiju look kind of interesting, but um, don't get a lot of time. I really like Hakuja, which is the one that digs in the ground, and it's got this cool, like, armored carapace and, and stuff yeah like, i guess the the scale of the threat is so large and general that they just don't focus on it yeah i honestly like don't really like the the kaiju designs i've have trouble like remembering which which one is which whenever whenever i hear knife head i just think of that um knife headed kaiju from oh, Yama, yeah literal knife head which is the true knife head that's the same monster <laughs> Same monster. Yeah, okay. It's a, it's a does it, does it also fire, fire, um, telekinetically controlled shuriken? If it got more screen screen. time, it would have. Oh, fine. Yeah, they killed it too fast. Uh, I think I think I like my derpy like guy in suit kaiju a lot more than fancy CGI kaiju. Fundamentally, I think that's just my aesthetic. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy it. And then you know what? They don't do it at all in this film. So good job, Uprising. But um, in, in kaiju films, there are so many kaiju that come out of the water or like start in the water and swim around. But then like they always kind of have to get out before they fight because there are people in suits and fighting in the water is, is you know. Right. It's hard to do well. Like sometimes they'll fight a little bit in the water. But then and you even have the times where like, you know, Godzilla is walking in the middle of the sea but that's because it's hard to do him actually swimming until newer ones. Yeah, Ga- Gamera fought an underwater kaiju, and it—I mean, it was a Gamera movie, so it was not. Yeah, like it was underwater in the sense that they put like a like an underwater effect in front of the camera to make <laughs> it look like they were maybe underwater. Yeah, but so I really love like one of the things that struck me when I first saw Pacific Rim was just that it was so cool when they first fight Knifehead and they like wade out to the Miracle Mile and they fight in the water and like with every punch, there's just water like washing up and everything's that neon and like, uh, cause all the Kaiju also have those cool kind of like glowing bits and the Kaiju blue is all yeah, glowing. That I do just, like. It's really visually striking. And it just, to me having always kind of been like, man, I wish the Kaiju would actually fight in the water. I feel like I finally got it. And it looked really cool. And then right. didn't do that, but it's just no. a random thing I like. But if you like, you know, seeing people fight in cities, which I do, there was a lot of that. But again, I had no buy-in, so I kind of didn't care. Yeah. It's one of those things where, as, as it turns out, you can do like a bunch of cool, like giant monster stuff, which normally I have buy-in on that I really like. But if I don't have buy-in on the particular thing, it just it stops being cool, which hmm. is weird. Hmm. And I think there's also like, uh, there's the difference between like seeing like dudes in suits and and models and knowing how much effort that like physical effort like god not not to say that cgi doesn't take time and effort but it's not the same there's not the same tactile physicality to it and there's just something about seeing like a dude in a godzilla suit smashing through these meticulously constructed buildings that took like people time to make and are actually physical things that they're smashing and you can't like just redo it if, if it didn't turn out well there's just something about that that i really connect with 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. I just saw the new Jurassic World last night. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because I wonder if I would have been able to tell for real if I hadn't seen ahead of time. But um, they did use, they built animatronics again for quite a few scenes in that film. Mm-hmm. And I felt cool. like it came across. Like, in the end, I, I don't think that it was a, an excellent film, but I had fun with it and more than I thought. And I enjoyed the scenes with dinosaurs more than I thought I would. And often it was because it felt like they had a physicality because they were really there in the scene. I've been trying to get through the first Jurassic World for about two weeks. I'm about an hour and a half into the movie. (laughs) It feels like. I don't know how long the movie is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jurassic Park only happened, like, there's only one Jurassic Park, and for whatever reason, I can rewatch Jurassic Park and still feel that same, like, wonder and awe that no... Jurassic Park or dinosaur CGI movie afterwards just I don't know there's just something about it being the first right. one and it Jurassic being so Park's good. the first movie I saw in theaters and I saw the other three right. and uh, read all of the Michael Crichton books and stuff big long time fan mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the new one hurts a lot <laughs> Yeah. It's just like, it's oh, wow, you made a reference to the old movie. Oh, Hammond spared it was expense. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. Oh, Raptor bicycle. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Oh, look, you're in the old Jurassic Park. Then it's, uh, it's for some reason, ruins instead of having been paved over or whatever. It's like, I wish I had been born just earlier enough to see Jurassic Park in theaters like I, I get so jealous of people who did because what an experience like I watched it on VHS my entire time it was I was I was five great. when that happened but it's still like I'm sure there was an impression like yeah I wasn't allowed to watch during the the, the first raptor cage attack but uh, the rest of it I got to see and that stuck in my brain for a long time I've, I have issues I guess with disembodied arms now uh, yeah, I get that. Man, I was just so happy to see like, like, like realistic looking dinosaurs. Like, and I realize I realized that in retrospect, dinosaurs look different. Blah blah blah. Feathers. That's that's fine. But when you know, we didn't but know that at the time. They're huge and they occupy the space and they move. Yeah. And- I know. Oh, and it's like, oh my god, I'm seeing dinosaurs and they look like dinosaurs. And I'm just, I know my heart is full. Yeah, I still get teary. I feel like a I small child. Oh. And the dinosaurs, you know, some of them are friendly and there's a triceratops and it's not doing well. Laura Dern's like just lying on top of it. It's so nice. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even realize that was Laura Dern until I was looking at the credits for Star Wars for like the the mm. last Jedi. I mean, the what is it called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The new one. Um, that is the yeah. last Jedi. Yes. Okay, good. You mean Solo? <laughs> I did see that too. See what I did I there. I did that too. Yeah, Jurassic Park makes me teary every time, not just because of the dinosaurs, but now, especially that I'm older, it's just like it's got this love for science and for like scientific advancement yeah. that makes me cry. It's which it always does. Like I, I, I cried a little at CERN, and I also I went to a planetarium show in Munich, and it was entirely in German, like the narration, which they warned me about, and I was like, no, that's fine, I'll go anyway to see the pretty planets and stuff, and then I ended up crying a little bit just because even though i didn't understand what they were saying i could tell they were talking about um, like the advancement of you know the the mayan civilizations and stuff and our understanding of the stars and the sun and then like galileo and everything and just oh, i'll tear up about science all the time and Jurassic park does such a good job that there's not it doesn't demonize science but it still talks about how it can be misused and like it, it has such a nuanced view of the question and of different types of characters. Like yeah. there aren't a lot Whereas, of villains. Like, world yeah. immediately steps in with just like the, oh man, the military could use this science. Look at how much oh. science we're doing for profit. Yeah. It's like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, even Jurassic park three has kind of that like nice bit at the, uh, with, with um, Sam Neill and the kid where he's talking about how he likes this stuff before he like, Jurassic Park because he still liked dinosaurs. Yeah, I actually quite like three. Yeah, and Sam Neill being like, like fielding questions and being like, "Look, those aren't real dinosaurs. We're talking about real dinosaurs here. Just because they made some fake dinosaurs doesn't mean we can learn the same things from them." Which is a nice point. Yes, yeah. but then how? Like, even he is not entirely immune to the wonder of seeing, like, 
Oh yeah. I, I feel like it's a really interesting like scientific conflict that they go through and that they they don't answer it because there isn't an answer. It's just like it's a difficult question. Yeah. But then you also have to deal with Taya Leone. Ah. <sighs> Which one is A? She's the mom. I forgot. Mom. In three. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But you get a Spinosaurus. And what's his name from Fargo? Parasaurus. Oh, I still haven't seen Fargo. You've never seen. Yeah. Dude. What? You should see Fargo. What? It's on the list. It's good. I know. It's real good. Yes. I shut down my Hamlet to film the TV series, so I'm mad at all Fargo. <laughs> the TV series is also good. I Yes, I, I have to see Fargo so that I can see the TV series, which is also good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's not like 100% necessary, but it it, it helps. Um, when you watch season two of Fargo, what you want to have done is seen everything the Coen brothers had done up to that point. Which I... Because it's basically just a remix of Coen yeah, Brothers stuff. It's yeah. fantastic. I, I just watched um, The Hateful Eight. So yeah, that's I want to see that still. Tarantino-y and just, I, I would say, because I didn't, I didn't even know that I would want to. I would say watch things like The Thing and Alien and uh, The Usual Suspects before watching Hateful Eight. Just to have that refresher. Oh, I, I've just done Just to that. have the refresher. Because it's I can't. beautiful. Watch the usual suspects ever again, though. I've only seen a dubbed, like, clean version of it. Oh yeah, it's it's just because of the Kevin Spacey aspect. He is. I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to watch it again. Yeah, I know. You don't know I... that till the end. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> Spoilers for twenty year old okay. movie guys. Sorry. I have I have sorry, never sorry seen if I ruined the usual I suspects. Wasn't particularly planning to, so that's all right. And also, I don't know who that's Kevin fine. Spacey is. So he hasn't told me anything. Uh, K Pax, ah. the man who eats the banana. That's who Kevin Spacey is. What? He turns into a cat in Nine Lives. You ever see Seven? <laughs> no, I don't know any of these. Wait, he's he, a, he's the talking what's cat. in the box? He puts. He's the talking cat in Nine Lives. I have seen that. I know about what's in the box, but I have I haven't seen that film with the box. There's Brad Pitt's crying, good, and there's something in the box, and Kevin Spacey Kevin put Spacey something in the it. box. I know it's in the box. There's a really, really good William Shatner parody of Seven that he did for like some awards show where he William Shatner plays every character, oh. but it's different. Like it's like it's Star Trek William Shatner and like Rescue Nine One One William Shatner. Oh, it's really good. And he does the what's in the box like very well. Okay, I'll look that up later. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, it was on YouTube when I watched it, which was like 12 years ago, but it's probably still there. Sure. Nothing ever dies on the internet. Anyway. I wouldn't think. Uh, I think we're finished talking about Pacific Rim Uprising, although I, I now want to mention that they had Gregory Keyes do a tie-in book that's a prequel to Uprising. Yeah, I have all no, people. Gregory Keys is I pretty good. I haven't read it yet. I've read people talking about it. I haven't read the novelization either, but I think Gregory Keys did like a three-part Babylon Five tie-in uh, Psychor series of novels too, if I'm remembering correctly, and they were very good. Yes, yes, that's him, and he wrote the yeah. They were real Age good. of Reason series, which I I love as an alternate history sci-fantasy kind of thing as a kid. It's just like Benjamin Franklin teaming up with Isaac Newton to do science, but alchemy also. <laughs> well, and he made like the history of telepaths and them like showing up, like developing on Earth and like the formation of the Psychor. Like the, the first book is about that and it's actually good and interesting. Go <sighs> figure. Maybe I'll read it. I've been in a weird state where it's it's been a while, I guess it's been since March that Uprising has been out, but it's this weird kind of denial thing where a lot of it is so surreal, especially after like waiting five years for it and being a part of this fandom that like mm. in those five years has created all kinds of really interesting media because not only is there obviously tons of fan art and fan fiction, but like one of my favorite fan fictions involved... Um, like, so Newton Geisler in the extended canon in like the novelization and the DVD extras had a band when he was younger. And so huh. 
my favorite mm. uh, fiction, which is as long as the Lord of the Rings series. It's one of these mega fictions. The author wrote songs for his fictional band, which they called the Superconducting Super Colliders. And then musicians recorded those songs. And now there are like two and a half albums by the Superconducting Super Colliders. The fandom took it places in those five years and to suddenly have something new, but also something that is in most ways not what anyone wanted is just, it's so weird. It, it's a very strange feeling. I still like, I went and was mm -hmm. in Walmart and I saw the Blu-ray and I bought it because I was like, <laughs> I have to. Oh shit, I guess I have to too. Damn it. Just to, wait till yeah. it's $5. <laughs> but it still doesn't feel real. So I haven't read the side novels either because it's just, it, it's a very strange mixed kind of kind of feeling. But it's been fun. It, it kind of, it, it did put a shot of uh, adrenaline into the fandom because mostly out of anger and like, we will fix this. <laughs> but also it, it's amazing how much stuff there is in there that is like, fodder for people who want to look into it more deeply it's almost like jurassic world which i think was a bad movie but accidentally said some interesting things so like uprising has all these little fascinating details like how newt when he meets with herm in the first scene uh, asks him over to dinner to finally meet alice and it's like what is that like has he been trying to get Herman to come over? Like what would have happened? Like, was he trying to get in? Yeah. Was it a cry for help or was the plan to also get Herman to drift with it? Like there's this big unanswered, interesting question. And just all these little details, like when Newt is choking Herman, Herman actually is just like kind of petting his hand. Like he's rubbing it in this kind of consoling fashion instead of trying to fight back. So there's just, it, there's still all these little nuggets of, of interesting material, even in an otherwise disappointing film. So it's had an interesting effect on, on the fandom. But. Yeah. As, as somebody who is part of Power Rangers fandom, when, when both the, the two theatrical Power Rangers movies came out way back in the day, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And one everybody was fairly happy with and one everybody was pretty mad about. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and yeah. a small child got mad at me for giving Power Rangers Turbo a bad review <laughs> on, on Usenet. I assume he was a what small was a child. What was a child doing on like Usenet? Talking about Power Rangers. Oh. I mean, I say small child. He was probably like 13. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Little baby. Little baby who's real mad that I had negative opinions about a thing he liked. How dare you? I know. How dare I indeed. All right. I think that wraps it all up for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Coriander Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Absalar. I'm Adam Wasserman. You can find me on Twitter at Gold Sarcasmium. And I'm Alexi Peppers, and you can find me on Twitter at AM Peppers, and I will talk about Pacific Rim all day, any day. Hit me up. See y'all on the flip side. <laughs> Bye. Uh -huh. You know, like we say every episode. <laughs> yeah, every yeah. episode. See you on Just the flip side. Good goodbye. <laughs> Stay ghosty. <laughs> <laughs>